Welcome to Antimatterpod, a barely misandrist at all Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, Nepenthe. It was great! I really love this episode. I have one criticism and it's actually strong enough that I may at some point regret saying that I love it. But overall, I thought it was really strong. This show has really leveled up in storytelling and balancing character development with advancing the plot. And so we'll get to my criticisms later, but it was such a nice, nicely balanced story with three separate locations and story threads. Yes. So let's just work through them in order. All right. So we have Nepenthe first, and I would say that's the main plot. Yes. Though, honestly, as much as I loved everything on this planet, I was very eager to get back to La Serena. I'm very engaged with those characters, and I don't understand the reviewers saying that this was the only engaging side of the plot, because it wasn't. But at the same time, I'm so happy to see Riker and Troy again. I'm delighted by Kestra, and I thought they had a really interesting story, and they made better use of Deanna's skills than... (laughs) whole seasons of next year. Yeah, I was going to say, then the entirety of her character arc before this. Not quite, but pretty much. It was a Deanna Troy episode that first introduced the Tal Shiar, so it's really fitting that she appears in this series. I had that same thought. <laughs> and it was also, there were so many layers to the scenes between Deanna and Soji and then Deanna and Picard in yeah. defense of Soji. I loved everything about that. And I was so pleased that they brought in Deanna Troy to do that. It was yes. the perfect person and the perfect way to really highlight how important she is to the next generation and Star Trek. And I was just so, so pleased with... like. The Riker stuff was very nostalgic and beautiful and, and mm. it was like this whole family hug and, and I loved seeing them act off of each other. There was so much yes. amazing personal like connections there. And it was a tribute to the Enterprise finale that no one wanted or asked for. <laughs> but the, the Deanna stuff was just meaty and, mm. and amazing. You could have told this story without Riker, but you couldn't have told it without Troy. Exactly. And I think that is such a wonderful inversion of how this usually went in Next Gen. Right. Not that I'm not delighted to see Riker. No. And, I, he had you know, great things too. I loved how, like, how he understood Picard immediately. There was like a shorthand between them with their body language and like you know one or two words I loved how defensive Mm. he was of Picard throughout it was like kind of great yeah yeah every time anyone said something against Picard he was like no wait that's yeah that's uh, that's that's my guy that's that's my Picard he can criticize Picard privately between the two of them because that's his job as first officer but no one else can his job is to stop that it was so cute. It was just, it was great. And Picard needed that too. You know, he needed yeah. a little a little bit of, oh, I have these people in my corner, even when I'm like actively trying to keep them out of it. And also, 
Deanna can call him out and Riker can call him out, but they also give him practical tips for improving, which is not something you have to do, but I think, you know, everyone has dunked on Picard this season and it went from being kind of great to a little bit sad, but I just really liked how they did it here. I felt like this is a slightly off topic, but you know, in... The episode of Next Gen where Data is put in command and Worf is his first officer and they have a conflict and finally at the end Worf says, I apologise and I hope this hasn't impacted our friendship. And it's like a masterclass in apologising. This is a masterclass in calling someone out that you care, care about. Yes. Yes, that makes perfect sense. And that's very Next Gen. You know, these people are brilliant and capable and they make mistakes, but... What they model is dealing with those mistakes as adults. And that's still the case here. And I, I just, I'm just so happy. Exactly. I was just, mm. ugh, I, I had such a wonderful feeling. I was, I was worried that it was just going to be about nostalgia and about catching up with the, with the Riker Troys, yeah. the Troy Rikers, instead of, instead of progressing the plot and instead of actually dealing with you know, it could have just been about Soji as Data's daughter. Yeah, and not as a person in her own right. And they avoided that trap magnificently. And as much as this is a bit of a weird, slow interlude, I think it was really, really necessary to give Soji this space to adapt to her new identity and to start to trust Picard. Yep. Because if they had gone straight back to La Serena and on to the next adventure, that would have felt emotionally untrue. It was exactly what the character needed and it was so good for the story because it was dealing with how absolutely devastating this has to be for Soji. Right. And, you know, we didn't get any of that with Dodge because she just immediately died. Like, she sort of accepted that she was different and then died. She didn't have yeah. any of that growth. <laughs> it was, I'm yeah. in trouble, Picard's going to help me, I'm going to protect him, now I'm dead. Whereas Soji had a whole arc on the cube that was connected to, but different from her identity realization. Yeah. And I just like that they dealt with the double traumas of my entire identity is a lie and this guy was manipulating me the whole time. Right, because Narek's betrayal of Soji is a real betrayal and he tried to kill her, whether or not directly or indirectly and whether or not his heart was in it. She is so damaged by this and I'm so glad they've taken the time for her to start dealing with it and that she didn't immediately trust Picard. It also would have been so easy to just give her the same... Uh, subroutine that made Daj trust and seek Picard. Exactly. That was the shortcut version. And this was, we're taking the time to actually have her take the baby steps. And she's still not even there. But no. she's worked through so much and he's worked through so much in front of her. And Kestra, obviously, is this perfect being that was able to bring them together and I want to talk about her in depth because she's my favorite thing ever. But before <laughs> we move off of the Soji's trauma, I just 
want to um, say that I'm so pleased that they completely like sidestepped the. I said last week that I was I was gearing up for my. I am gonna have to defend their choices in regards to how they're dealing with this relationship mm. between Narek and Soji, and I don't want to because I'm so, I'm tired of that. <laughs> And they they didn't. They were like, no, we are actually treating this like it was a horrible thing that happened to her. And I was just so relieved. Right. And I thought it was, this is sort of jumping ahead, but it was a really good choice to make Narek a presence, but alone, without dialogue, and not dealing with Soji. Suddenly he's dealing with La Serena and... I think that's a really good choice and it lets the audience sit there and continue to be mad at him for a little longer before we move on to the next phase of his development. Yeah, it was it was just I was shocked and amazed that, that they did so well. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I'm like, oh my no, goodness, no. they actually did the right thing for once. But I'm just so used to it not happening. No, no, and it really highlights that this side of the story belongs to Soji and Narek's feelings at this point are secondary. Right. Tell me your all your feelings about Kestra. Oh my goodness. Okay, so first of all, like I love legacy characters. I love the children mm -hmm. of people that we know and love. That is my chocolate, you know. It's just like it's so wonderful to get that. And yes. She is amazing. She is the perfect reflection of both of her parents the whole episode. And yet her own character in this, in, you know, right. we might never see her again. And she's still one of my favorite characters because <laughs> she's just has so much presence right from the beginning. She has such great rapport with all of the other characters in the episode, including the guy who's like off screen that... that yeah. She's the only one who talks about. Like, it was incredible. <laughs> the actress did really well. And some of the dialogue, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this, this poor <laughs> child having to say all of having this. Having to learn all of this. Like, yeah. Correctly. And, 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 and you know, it, it was clunky. The dialogue is sometimes clunky. Like, sorry, that's just the way I take it. And no, no. she did so well. And I just loved it. Every time she was on screen was amazing. She was so good at selling the fact that she could bond with Soji right away over their dead siblings without us knowing yes. how it happened or anything about it, like or, or knowing any of the history. We all, I already immediately understood that she was like, oh, she sees, like she's protecting her. She immediately was like, go back yeah. off the card. I'm taking this. I, I can I understand this better than you ever could. I was also very impressed by the actress and you know if you told me that they cast a blonde-haired blue-eyed girl as the child of Riker and Troy I, I I did know that actually I think Marina Sirtis said something about it and I, I, I thought it was a really poor choice but she is perfect like in profile her nose actually looks a bit like Marina Sirtis's and Deanna had a blonde sister so whatever genes but the actress was great and I think she you know with a child character it's really easy to go oh she's a tomboy or oh she's a princess and she's kind of a baby warrior princess and she's an artist and she's a pacifist <laughs> and she kills her own meat and 
you know, there are a lot of layers to her. And I think it's so hard to write a good kid character. And God knows Star Trek is very hit or miss with it. But Kestra just came out wonderfully. And like, of course, this is William Riker's daughter and Loxana Troy's granddaughter. <laughs> She's just perfect. And I love how much Riker loves being a dad. He is He's so a proud. Great dad. He is so happy. But also, precious. you say she's perfect, but she doesn't come across as a Mary Sue. Because, like, she has that vibe of super smart homeschooled kid, mm. but not in a Wesley way. She's not a genius. She's a bit sheltered. She's clearly the apple of her parents' eye, and also they're a bit overprotective. But you can also see how other people outside the family would find her hard work yes just the fact that she just kept babbling at soji yeah it was like i mean i know kids like that and they are the excitable like mm. i have all of these facts that i i need to tell you right away <laughs> and yes and, yes and i they just can't stop themselves from just saying and this and this and this and this Yes. So she was brilliant and perfect, but also irritating in a low-key, reasonable way. You know, she's not a horrible brat. She's just a kid. Uh, you have a daughter about her age, right? Yes. Did you feel like she was pretty realistic? Yes. That I, and in fact, I said to my daughter, I was like, I wish you watched, you were watching this with me <laughs> because they introduced this character and she's you. <laughs> and so you would love her you even have her haircut it was just like I was amazed at how well how realistically they portrayed this girl mm. who is as you said who is both a tomboy and a princess and 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 just wants to be her own person and and is like whatever I'm this it was yeah she's unapologetic she was brilliant and I love her Mm. And yes, I wanted my daughter to watch her. <laughs> and then we have Thad, who is never seen on screen, but is such a big presence in his absence. This little child Tolkien who made up languages and seemed to be a budding fiction writer or something. And he died at the age of about 15. And that's really sad. It's horribly sad. And the whole part of that he wanted a home planet mm. and so he was going to make one up he was going to make his own if he doesn't get one then yeah. he's going to he's going to figure out how to how to create it and then in his what ended up being his last years found that at this what i mean i gotta say that planet is beautiful i want to yes. go there <laughs> Uh, not really sure about the venomous bunny unicorns, but I'm willing to go with it. <laughs> I really love that he did get his home in the end, that he was happy yeah. there because I, I needed him to have that happiness and yeah, how hard it was for the rest of his family and still is it, to be without oh. him. He might have gone, been going to the academy at this stage or, you know, bringing home girls or boys and exercising that famous Riker-Troy charm. And it's a terrible loss, and, but it doesn't feel gratuitous. And I think in the same way that we have 
the story of Soji being an android alongside the story of Soji being betrayed by her boyfriend. We have this big plot about synths and conspiracies and then we have this one little family that has suffered a great loss. Yes, they made it personal. They made the whole synth thing. Because, yes, we have Soji and we have Data. Like, we're, mm. let's imagine, we're huge TNG fans and so we're connected to Data and we love him and this is a really sad idea that oh there will you know they they made it so that you could never have a data yeah but even even to build the matrix yeah. to to cure this disease that that makes it that's like you know it's not just we'll never have a data it's we will never use this technology again for anything and that mm. is so sweeping and you can only understand it on this very personal level of this little boy that I desperately want to know. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's, it does feel like a realistic decision on the part of legislators who are not affected by these choices. It's like shutting down stem cell That's research. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's the stem cell question. It's maybe less ethically fraught because, like, set up a positronic matrix and don't connect it to anything. Guys, like, I feel like Beverly had one in her drawer just waiting to go as soon as she got the authorization. <laughs> well, and then the authorization never came. I, w I guess they fear that if they create one, it'll be created and, and somebody evil and dark will get their hands on it. Or, or else it'll just, like, meld with the medical tricorder and become an evil robot that destroys the world. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But that's that's what they're that's where they are. They're so afraid. And also, it's pretty clear to me that like Commodore O, they they've infiltrated at every level, and they are also like just keeping their their mm. you know down on. Is there they're being Palpatine over there, just saying no, we're not doing that. The Jatvash or the Conclave of Eight or whatever the anti. Right. There could be a like someone you know presents legislation for hey let's okay so I'm gonna use Palpatine. <laughs> Padme mm -hmm. presents legislation to say we should not create a army of the Republic because that's not what we're for. And right. Palpatine Let's not enslave these nice clothes. <laughs> right. Creates this whole situation where this is the, our only option. And so the reverse mm. of that would be, you know, I saw that we're, movie. We're not going to create the these androids. Uh, and like that that's what that's what the end result is we're we're down on this even though i'm sure there are padmes out there who are like look at these children who are dying because we're not yeah. giving them the positronic you know microchip that would save their lives like right. someone is out there putting up that res that that legislation but it's being shot down by the commodore o's right and i think that's actually very realistic and that is unfortunately how democracy works where is our west wing star trek but yeah the human or half betazoid face of the tragedy is something we needed to see uh, i don't really know how a silicon-based virus works but i have come to realize in the last couple of weeks that i don't know anything about viruses <laughs> so yeah I'm just gonna I I hand wave all of that like yeah sure that sounds <laughs> totally legit that happened yeah no problems. yeah we're good it crossed over from the hoarder to the humanoids and that's kind of awkward and we have questions <laughs> silicon based yeah 
outfit, like the mm. silicon mm. avatar. <laughs> oh, like, we're back to the data connections. Yeah, so, I don't know. There's just a lot there. Mm. I really enjoyed how hard it was for Soji to trust Picard and how once he realized how deep her trauma was and I'm so I'm a bit embarrassed that it took him being called out by Deanna but I think he thought that Soji was like Daj and would trust him if not instantly then very quickly and instead he had to do the work and he did the work so well recognizing that her android senses would enable her to basically be a lie detector I am eager to see how their relationship plays out. I love that Kestra made a, that she suggested that they could find what they need in each other. Yeah. That's one of the moments where it was like, okay, she's Deanna's kid. Yes. She is clearly maybe not empathetic in a Betazoid way entirely, but she has a lot of empathy and a lot of kindness. Right. And could see that as much as she needs these things to hang on to her brother and she needs her parents and i think she even needs her pen pal captain mm. she realizes that soji is all alone and that the card is all alone and it's really hard to be alone so give it a chance <laughs> yeah i she's just such a good character i love her she's amazing i kind of want like middle grade tie-in fiction for this very adult show obviously that's just like Kestra and the kids of, of Nepenthe hanging out and being weirdos together because oh. clearly this is like oh, yeah. the hippie <laughs> the hippie commune of the federation and it's the federation so it's a utopia but if it, this was a contemporary place it there would be a lot of anti-vaxxers <laughs> and, and homemade kombucha happening I mean they were having real meat with real cheese yeah. and, and there was a whole thing there so they've moved over into that kind of living yeah and it's kind of funny that both Picard and the Riker Troys have uh, gone back to a traditional sort of way of life Riker grew up in Alaska oh I can yeah. totally see it him. Oh yeah, and I I have this memory of there being a photo of him as a kid holding a giant fish that he caught. So the idea of catching your own or, or killing your own food is not unfamiliar to him. I, I just think it's an interesting parallel between Riker and Picard mm. and Deanna. Yes. Uh, I think we can safely assume that wherever Geordie is, he is not living on the land. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. and also yeah. Worf. No, no, definitely not. Although isn't oh, oh. isn't Worf captain of the Enterprise? Yeah, according to the novel, which didn't DS9 end with him becoming ambassador to the Klingon Empire? Eh, whatever, continuity. <laughs> I always thought that was a pretty bad idea because he had literally just killed that empire's leader. So maybe someone did think better of it. I mean, it was ridiculous for him to be in charge of the Klingons to begin with. That's like, he grew up on Earth. He was more human than Klingon. Like, it's just... Right, and he has fought to be a Klingon within the Federation. And it it did feel a bit bit racist to go, hey, you're Klingon, go hang out with the Klingons. It's way more great for him to be captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, and more consistent with his arc in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, in X amount of years, we've gone from fighting these people to him being the the main guy. 
our go-to captain. The captain of the flagship. Captain of the flagship. So I like that better. I'm just going to go with it. Literally Picard's argument in, in the book for promoting him that, you know, we can show the Romulans, you know, you don't have to join the Federation, but if you do, you won't be treated like outsiders. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's safe to ally with us. Building bridges. Yeah. As long as he has then, a good first officer to keep him in line. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. And whoever that first officer is, I hope she's a new character and not someone that we already know. Yeah. I, lo- I loved seeing these old characters because they, mm. and they, they weren't, they weren't a nostalgia grab. It was much more. Yeah. It was organic to the story, just like Deanna's tomatoes. And... <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. so I'm I'm good with it, but I agree that I, as you say, I loved everything that happened away with all new characters, mm. like every everywhere else. I guess Hugh is not a, necessarily a new character, but he's also not one of the main cast. No, <laughs> so. no. So as long as we're transitioning, uh, my onto the the artifact storyline, and my main criticism of this episode was that I don't think it's necessary to kill Hugh, and. This show is not great with queer representation, which is also a separate rant. And Jonathan Del Arco is basically the the most prominent gay actor in this series, which he's not even in the main cast. He's been in like three episodes. Mm-hmm. And so killing him, it didn't serve the plot. It didn't serve his arc as a character. It didn't do much to advance Elnor's arc. It felt cheap. I agree. I don't think that Hugh needed to die. No. I, I mean, for anything. I, to, to what? To raise the stakes? Once again, why do they think that we need... That they just killed, like, eight or more... XBs. XBs. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was fine. With, with, you know, I was already upset at that point. It would have been enough for Nerissa to capture him and beam away and we can rescue him from horrible tortures later on. And then he leaves his little Fenris Rangers key fob that I hope Star Trek.com starts selling for Narek to call seven. Yeah, he didn't, as you said, it didn't fulfill his arc. His arc no. is so unfinished now, and I'm really upset about it. Michael Chabon does this thing on Instagram where he answers fan questions after every episode. And so here's a question Have adored the show, but can you explain the heartbreaking choice to kill Hugh? heart emoji, live long and prosper emoji. And his answer is, one of the stories we are telling this season on Picard is a story about the tragedy of being Borg, or more precisely, of being assimilated and then, even more poignantly, being restored from assimilation and struggling forever after with assimilation's traumatic legacy. In a very unique way, Hugh was able to recontextualize his trauma into something that brought healing and hope to others, which gave purpose and brought healing to himself. But his predicament, like that of all former Borg, as he explained to Picard in episode 106, remained essentially tragic, and tragically is how he dies, cut down by someone who sees him as a disgusting monster at the moment, when he makes his boldest claim to dignity and freedom. What? Yeah, no. That's horrible. How how can you say I, the whole first like part of that I and know. then end with the last part of that? I know. 
And the thing is, I cannot think of a worse metaphor for homosexuality than Borg assimilation, but it is kind of that whole, oh, just when this character is happy and free and claiming their life, they're killed by someone who thinks they're a monster. That is a classic trope of homophobic storytelling. Wow. It's straight up kill your gays. I was just upset about this, but now I'm like angry. And and I was also beginning to get angry because I saw some pretty negative comments yes online one person so i've been calling Narek kyla romulan since like day one yes this person suggested that q like kylo ren needed to die in order to atone for his sins of being a borg that's like i was you know the people saying <laughs> I mean, oh, well, Kylo is a metaphor for childhood, sec- you know, being abused uh, as a child, but he still needs to die. Uh, Cover your ears if you don't want to hear an F-bomb. What the fuck? <laughs> I cannot. Like, okay, first of all, if you're going to compare Hugh to someone in the sequel trilogy, it is obviously Finn. Yeah, like, yeah. Stolen as a child and forced to kill on behalf of the cause. The... Yeah. on behalf of order like okay not kylo ren finn <laughs> that's that's you that's know point one the unambiguously good guy right <laughs> point two that is a terrible that, thing to I, say i just i cannot i you you don't like kylo ren i also kylo ren did not need to die and <laughs> vader did not need to die they would be better served by living and doing good from then on Sorry, I just had this mental image of like Darth Vader doing community service and it was really funny. Look, I'm just saying <laughs> that that there are other ways to atone for things. Death is not the answer. Death is the fast, easy, cheap way out. You are preaching to the choir. No Borg, no Borg, zero Borg need to atone for anything at all anyway. No. Thank you. I cannot believe that someone would so misunderstand the whole point of every single Borg story since the best of both worlds. Right. I am beyond words. And I I don't understand this black and white thinking. I don't understand this complete misreading of both Star Trek and Star Wars. And I just am at a loss. So there's just a lack of compassion there. It's not what but, Hugh But that's want. why we desperately need Hugh and the XBs to not all be dead. Like, yeah. who's going to take up this cause now? It's like, it could be Seven, but she has her own cause that she's fighting. It could be Picard, right. but he's kind of busy. Like, it's really devastating to me because we were given this beautiful healing moment... And it's just gratuitously snatched away. I, I also I saw a lot of comparisons to the death of Hugh Colber in Discovery at roughly the same point in the season. And yeah, I think that has a point. And I'm glad that people are starting to talk outside of my own Tumblr about the problems with the queer rep on this show, such as it, such as it is. Yeah. Which is mostly not there. So yeah. So anything that you do that we can even sort of squint at and say, 
I'm scared for Seven now. I'm scared for Seven. And I was really, like, okay with Seven. I thought she was going to make it. I feel like, one, Jerry Ryan is already retweeting people saying that they'll riot if she dies. Obviously, she knows how it's going to go, and I don't think she would be doing that in a fun way if she was going to die. I also don't know that she would have signed signed up for it's it. It's true. It's true. And unlike Jonathan Del Arco, she was a regular character in Voyager. And she's done a lot since then. So it's not, she yeah. doesn't need this. Not, not that Jonathan Del Arco does, but I'm just saying, like, much as Patrick Stewart had to have a good story to come back, I feel like Jerry Ryan also had to have a good story. They had to work very hard to persuade her to come back. So I, I'm cautiously okay I'm cautiously optimistic with Seven. If she suffers along the way, that's okay by me. I love it when my characters suffer. But yeah, I just think killing Q was a really terrible idea and looking worse and worse by the day. And it's a deep flaw in an otherwise great episode. It wasn't even, I didn't get any catharsis. I didn't get, I wasn't in that moment. Like I was just angry that he was dead. I wasn't sad. I was sad for Elnor at the end when he was so mm. alone. Poor Elnor. Poor oh, baby no. Elnor. Have you seen the clip from next week's episode? No, I haven't. I don't watch them. Well, oh, okay. Well, I won't spoil you, but I was very glad to see it. It made me feel better for him. Okay. It felt like a very small moment, and it was not worthy of a really significant established guest star. Right. I, like, I had to... I had to put on the subtitles in order to understand what he said. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an odd moment. It actually reminds me of Descent Part 2, and I don't like Laura as a character, but I think he too deserved a better ending. So, like, oh well. Very yeah. sad. Uh, but Elnor was great. He's, <laughs> I still don't know if I'd call him smart, <laughs> but he's good at the strategy and the tactics and he's just so determined to save people and i love that he's a gryffindor he is 100 percent gryffindor he doesn't have a brain cell in him oh that's not fair <laughs> he's just he thinks with his whole heart and his brain yeah. is secondary that's what i mean he is definitely not a calculating person he he was and he just does the the good thing and sometimes the good thing is like straight up murder but he's he's really determined to do the good thing yeah and i love that about him and i'm so glad that he's not dead that's not to say i'm not mad that they killed hugh i think i did say at some point that i would trade hugh for elnor but i was wrong <laughs> and uh we finally got to see nerissa interact with other people and uh i wish she was a more interesting character she was very the antagonist, she was very mm -hmm. evil queen. Like, just straight up, I'm enjoying being evil. Yeah, but, like, I feel like that character type has been done before and done better. And, yeah, I just... I mean, the only... She could be interesting, The only thing that was not. particularly interesting was when she put away her phaser and said, that's not how yeah. we fight. And I was like, I, I want to know more about that. Yeah. Tell me more. I guess also confirmation that she is Jat Vash, not Tal Shiar. Yes. I suspected, but it's nice to know for sure. It's like if the Quatmalat and the Tal Shiar are mortal enemies and the Jat Vash are like the even worse version of the Tal Shiar, hmm. it's very interesting. Like I can, I'm like, I'm interested in this. Like it was sort of that she 
she recognized him even though he's a boy and so she was like i don't know mm, this is weird if that's what you are this is weird but but she still want like she was sort of excited to yeah to have her you know the, the opportunity to do hand-to-hand combat and and her little knife came out of nowhere so that was fun I liked it. I liked their fight. Mm. I liked that part. Yeah. I agree that she that was just, beautifully she has no, choreographed. She was just excited to murder people. Yeah, and not in a nice, wholesome way like Elnor. No, in a I don't believe you should be alive way. <laughs> Which, yeah. again, and then this is where my Emperor Giorgio and my Seska feelings come in, where I, it's she has been trained since clearly very young childhood yeah. to believe that anything synthetic or cyborg is dangerous yes and and yeah. unnatural in a way that needs to be destroyed and that's like i really want to learn more about that and how is how is she trained and what was her and Elnor's childhood like and were their parents shut Vash? Right. Is this like That's what I want to a know. hereditary I... deep state? We we have had so much opportunity to learn Clearly this. Clearly Narek and Arissa they're cl- they're close in that way because they they literally can't trust anyone else. And they can't trust each other, but at least they've always known each other. And they know each other yeah. better than anyone else. They grew up together, they have intimate knowledge of each other however you want to read however you want to read that so that's it for them yeah and you're right i was it was great to see her with anyone else just to confirm again that she she doesn't live in narek's head (laughs) (laughs) but i agree that i want to know more about her and i have a feeling this show is never going to we're not real learn more about her maybe in regards to Narek that's but that's and that's not a given that's a maybe and that's the only way like we're not going to learn about her and you really have to congratulate them for managing to create a female Romulan antagonist who's even thinner and more one-dimensional than (laughs) Sela but let's move on to La Serena and uh, first I've only just noticed that every episode since the second uh, has opened with a flashback but I really like it. I did not notice. Now that you pointed out, <laughs> okay. I mean, look, I'm that makes me feel tired. better. I don't know what's going on. I don't like it, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> I just enjoy a good flashback now and then, and one a week seems like a reasonable ratio. And now we finally know what happened with Commodore O and Agnes, and she was not mind controlled. She is just very ill-suited to both space travel and espionage. Poor thing. Poor, poor thing. I know, I know. She's in an impossible situation. I am glad that we've gotten some confirmation as to what happened to her, but what happened to her is horrible. I know, and I wonder if this is just a Vulcan thing that I forgot to account for the fact that humans... Just because something seems necessary to them, humans can't necessarily live with the consequences of the choices they might make, like, you know, murdering a guy. <laughs> We're not all Elnor. 
Well, because Elnor has been trained in a, and it's just, it's just like with Narek and Nerissa. If you're taught something and that's your truth, yeah. it's really hard to learn another truth. Yeah. But you know what? That covers O as well. Because if we're going to assume mm. that she's, you know, one of the, the many Vulcan factions that are not the kind yes. of Vulcans that we know then that's her truth as well. So her truth is, yeah. I, this is the logical course. Right. Ruining this young woman <laughs> in order to ruin another young woman is... It's regrettable but necessary. Right, and, and that's her truth. And, and so we can't... We can hold her accountable for it because it's bad. <laughs> Bad choices. It is indeed objectionably wrong. Objectionably Objectively. wrong. Yes, exactly. Objectively. Objectively. It's okay. Why do we even have a podcast? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, okay. It's objectively wrong for O to use Agnes in this way in order to yeah. murder Soji. But. Yeah. It is her reality. Her reality is, this is what needs to be done. Right. It's comprehensible. Might not be understandable, but it's comprehensible. I know that that's like splitting hairs, but it makes sense to me. No, it makes sense to me too. And I love a villain who thinks they're doing the right thing. So, yeah. So I have a theory now about the Romulan and apparent Vulcan abhorrence of AI, at least among some Vulcans, we know that the Vulcans were sufficiently advanced. You know, they had space travel and that's how the Romulans left the planet and went off to become Romulans. Yes. And so I'm wondering, in that Vulcanoid civil war, was AI used to such devastating effect that it became taboo in Romulan society and for parts of Vulcan society? But Vulcans are very logical, so when humans come along and they're like, hey, we're going to try this whole AI thing, they're like, mm, just because it failed once doesn't mean it's going to fail again. And then, you know, Spock concealed the whole control thing, so they didn't get a chance to learn from that mistake. <laughs> and so there is a faction of Vulcan society that still maintains this taboo. I don't know, it's just because I'm assuming that O is Vulcan and not Romulan, because I want her to be Vulcan and not Romulan, mm -hmm. I have to find a Vulcan link to the AI I taboo. That. And I think, I, I feel like it needs to go back to the time of Sorak, and I don't want it to be literally like, Sorak was an AI, <laughs> or whatever. Or blah, 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 Romulans created the Borg. I want O to be a Vulcan as well, but I can mm. imagine that she is a Romulan who mm. has learned Vulcan techniques. Mm. The Rahansu novels are about Romulans stealing Vulcans in order to use their brain matter to like to put implant in Romulan brains so that Romulans then have telepathy and mm. all of these techniques that Vulcans have. You could even do it with, like, genetic manipulation and whatever. Yes. And there was another novel, which was crazy, but, I mean, all, you know, mm. all of the Star Trek novels are a little crazy. I kind of love them that way. So it was called The Lost Years, and it was in between 
uh, the end of TOS and the motion picture. Basically, mm-hmm. it's about Admiral Kirk, and it's about Spock going home. And then it's about McCoy has this friend, this doctor friend named Carrie Dwin, who they go to Vulcan and they hang out with Spock and his fiance, and they have this whole thing. They end up going to the Kalinar people, mm-hmm. and basically... Carrie Dwen gets taken over, gets possessed by the Katra of this really, really old Vulcan extremist from pre-split off from Romulan times, and she's kidnapped basically by this this Katra and is trying to get into Romulan space to, like, again, teach all the Romulans all of these lost Vulcan techniques. Because they have the capabilities, they just don't it's been taken out of atrophy. Yeah. So, so there's like all this stuff. So I can imagine there being like maybe the conclave of eight is somehow evil Vulcans who've taught Romulans these things, or they're genetically manipulated, as you say, Romulans mm. who have Vulcan things. They the oh in her black cloak <laughs> super reminded yes. me of this novel <laughs> because. Oh, okay. Basically, Carrie Dwen, like, follows all of the Holly Naru into their secret meeting. She's not supposed to be there, but they can't tell that she's there because she is psi-blank or whatever. And so uh-huh. she, like, hears them arguing about all of, you know, the Vulcans and the Romulans, and and she's like, hey, and they're like, why is, why is this human here? But they were all wearing these cloaks, so they couldn't tell that she was there <laughs> until she started arguing with them. So that's what, I saw that scene, and I was like, oh, it's just like that crazy novel <laughs> about the Vulcan Romulan cultists and, and how they, you know, used ancient Katra to, <laughs> to give Romulans the ability to force memories into Agnes. So I... I'm kind of into this idea, but mostly because I think with a bit of work, I can figure out how to make it Sarek's fault. <laughs> okay. I like how dedicated you are to making everything Sarek's fault. That's pretty great. Oh, you know. Pretty great. Everyone needs a hobby. I'm trying to learn crochet as we speak, but I have a backup, and that's continuing to make fun of Sarek. But I, again, want to know more. I think we're going to learn more next week. Looks like I'm pretty it's, confident. It's cu- upcoming, we're gonna be good. I love... just gonna sit quietly and wait, like good little nerds. What I love is how many crazy factions of Vulcans and Romulans there actually are. I know that we've. I can't. Every week, I make fun of the fact that the Jadvash are the secret, secret Romulans, as opposed mm-hmm. to the Tal Shiar, who are the secret Romulans. So there's. It's it's ridiculous. And it's silly, but it's also really great. And actually more realistic. Like, it's silly to say there's the secret police and then there's the secret secret police. But it's not silly to say there's the Midwesterners and then there's also the Southerners. Right, right. Or there's the CIA and then there's the FBI. Or previous guest Jules emailed me 
in regards to, I think a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the sort of narrative that's building about the good refugee and Romulans who assimilate. And she pointed out that any time Michael Chabon writes a refugee narrative, it's going to be about Jews because that is his heritage and he's really engaged in, in his Judaism and Jewish history. And so that got me thinking about Mossad and, you know, is Israeli intelligence forces who are really, really like Tal Shia levels of dodgy. Mm. And, and yeah, yeah, that, that was just something I thought I'd throw out and I meant to acknowledge her email last week and forgot. But uh, yeah, I can't remember what we were talking well, about. No, I, but it's also like, okay, so again, in my photo caps, I keep making, I've made more than one character Black Widow now. <laughs> because it just it keeps coming up I mean I'm just saying that's what the narrative is but there's the KGB and then there's the Black Widow program it, and it's like yeah. it's the one that you don't talk about because it's actually terrible and yeah. and obviously that's made up but is it really well <laughs> I just feel like you know the CIA's terrible shenanigans are done under the label of CIA or whichever independent contractor they've outsourced And there's so many in America right now. Okay, so now we have the FBI and the CIA and Homeland Security and the NSA, and, like, they're all sort of doing the same thing, but in in different places and under different jurisdictions, and they have different, you know, and then, of course, we also have the actual military and the military Yeah, and military intelligence. Yeah, so there's so many ways to be terrible. (laughs) Sorry. I am, like Kestra, I am a pacifist. So, and I definitely want to move to Nepenthe and be a hippie. Absolutely. Freshly grown tomatoes and vaccinations for all. But anyway, let's talk about the people who are actually on La Serenia. Okay, so Agnes, not in a good place. Mm-hmm. Rafi offers to get her high and said she requests cake, which I think, you know, despite everything, I really identify with Agnes. <laughs> was super cute just the look on Rafi's face she's like oh god a normie (laughs) she doesn't want your psychotropic help in fairness like Agnes has got a lot on her mind and would probably is probably best staying away from anything that might encourage her to confess Mm -hmm. she comes so close though anyway she does she does And, and I also loved these Rafi scenes because you know I think I love Rafi and I love seeing her interact with people other than Picard and she she says she's only the wreckage of a good person I think that makes you a good person I loved that phrase and I that's where I was like I totally relate to this so hard Mm. the the wreckage of a good person like you're just trying so hard and you have so much you want to do but you're exhausted all the time and you keep leaning on bad habits and making the easy choices sometimes instead of the hard ones and it's just yeah like but you keep trying you get up the next day and you try again and even those of us without chronic addictions can identify with that yeah so i loved i loved rafi i loved how she was a mom hmm that she or at least that cool yeah, aunt who offers cool to get aunt, you high. Right. You know, she was trying. She was like, I'm gonna take care of this. I loved that like the the Rafi and Rios relationship was really interesting in this episode. 
Yeah. Because... Like the look they share when Agnes starts her rant about wanting to go home. Right. That was... And... Characters who can communicate with a glance are fantastic. Right. And it was so... It was really great the way they sort of traded off. Like, this is, yes. pre- this is something you can deal with. Okay, now this is something that you're going to have to deal with. I, re- I really yeah. liked that. It was very... It, again, showed that they have this really strong relationship that is established, that is... It's just good. It's a good relationship that, mm. that you know, again, whatever it is, they know each other and they rely right. on each other and they trust each other, which is why it's so sort of upsetting when, when Rios starts thinking, oh, she's, she's, she's the brainwashed plant. Yeah. And I can certainly, like, Certainly see him thinking, oh, someone offered Rafi something on FreeCloud. She took it. It had a tracker in it. Like, Rafi does not seem very particular about what she puts in her body. Yes. But, yeah, their relationship is so organic in a way that, frankly, Michael Chabon, who who's, was like, oh, yeah, we want queer characters, but we, they need to grow organically. And I'm like, you know what's not organic? Rios and Agnes. That is about it. That is the happy meal. Of organic relationships. Yeah, I, I'm very. What was even the point of Rios and Agnes? Yeah, because yeah, like it it came up a couple in in a couple of those glances. It was, or mm. in in moments, it was sort of is that somehow related to this? And is Bruce Maddox somehow related to this? There was all this like, Rafi kept coming close to understanding what was going on. Yeah. Rios yeah. came close to understanding what was going on, but neither of them quite got there. And the fact that Agnes and Rios happened, really, I, I do not know. I guess we could re- revisit it, but it just seems yeah. gratuitous right now. Yeah, I do not... Nothing, and I'm, very little about this would change if they hadn't slept and together. And I'm not sure what it tells us about either character either. No, except for um, Rafi's little, uh, is it Rios? Because I can, I can totally kick his ass for you. And again, they didn't need to sleep, sleep together to have that, that misunderstanding. Yeah. It troubles me that uh, Agnes starts to confess to Rios and comes really, really close. She is not subtle about it. And he still seems to accuse Rafi. Uh, a few people on Tumblr took suggest took objection to my suggestion that maybe Rios is not very bright. And they think this is all a game Rios is playing and that he has suspected Agnes all along and that he and Rafi have like set up between them to entrap her. Like, okay, I would believe, I was sort of, I was trying to, I couldn't tell in the initial mm. Rios and Agnes scene if he was trying to get her to confess or if he really believes that. Yeah. But then in the following scene, he was talking to Rafi about it. Yeah. And that's, and what, that's the point where I was like, I guess he is just that dumb. Yeah, yeah, because that whole line about throwing Rafi out of an airlock, she thinks he's joking. She finds it weird. He walks off. She kind of looks like confused and then shakes her head like oh that zany rios i need a drink right so so with that moment it seems clear to me that right she doesn't know what's going on with him and he yeah. is he suspects her 
So it can't be this, mm. I'm going to trick Agnes into confessing thing if no. that scene exists. Because no one else is watching them. It's not like Agnes was there. Agnes was in sickbay taking her her cocktail to... Her neurotoxin. So there, there was no one... It wasn't for an audience. No. It was real. No. And, and like, given how close... Agnes came to confessing that Rios still suspects Rafi is honestly kind of dodgy. I like, agree. He's dumb, but he's maybe also a little bit, I don't want to say racist. I just think that pretty white girls get away with a lot and black middle-aged women take the blame. But it's also, especially since he knows what happened to Rafi on the planet. She told him. Did she tell him or did he just think she was being maudlin and having regrets about her life? I mean, I guess it's not specific, but it's why would that come up now? Like, she didn't tell him specifics, but I feel like it's not that hard a leap to figure out. I think we've we've confirmed that Rios is not a clever man. It's just he's not, or he's not, he's oblivious. And look... I am super oblivious. <laughs> absolutely. I am very good at not I, I, knowing what's I'm going sorry. on. I'm mean, absolutely in the sense that so am I. Not I wholly agree that you are absolutely <laughs> oblivious. So I, I don't think it's an insult to Rios to say that he doesn't know what's going on with these people. Because he's just, he has his own narrative that he trusts and mm. and he's decided that and so he's not paying attention and so it's like you know he should pay more attention yes he should listen yes. he should like, come out of his his own <laughs> cigar smoke miasma however yeah i get yeah. it i get you know, I guess the refreshing thing about Elnor is that maybe it's not that he's not smart, but he has no need to put on a facade of intelligence. And so he is very upfront about not yet having the narrative to put people in order. Not yeah, that, that whereas going back to Deanna and Picard, she called him out on, you have to be Picard mm. all the time. And and Riker too. Riker was like, you're, you have to yeah. Have to make the decision. You decide that, you know, here's the problem, and the only one who can solve it is me. So I can see like mini versions of that in all of them, really, in Rafi and Rios. They're both trying to take, you know, take control of the situation in their own way. And so is Narissa, and so is Narek, and you know, Mm. everybody. And you know, particularly with Narek and and Rafi, they both have backgrounds in Starfleet Command. That's, that's their professional professional background and it's just sort of competing urges to give orders. I just think Rios needs to pay, pay more attention to people who aren't himself. Well, he's a man. Mm. Yeah. Uh, also, now that it's gone suddenly quiet at my end, I would like to apologise. My neighbour is doing some kind of garden works. Uh, we started recording after he finished throwing empty crates around. That's what it sounded like. But there is some leaf blower action and there's probably going to be some lawn mowing. And yeah, <laughs> I thought about creating a little soundproof studio in the garage. And then I went in and looked at all the spiders and they're very quiet, but they have a lot of legs. So no, we're just going to stay here in my unsoundproofed study. It's all good. It's good. 
We have a lot of character in our podcast. Mm, that's certainly one, one way to put it. And I think 41 episodes in, people have figured out our limitations in terms of sound quality. <laughs> it anyway, anyway, thank you for your forbearance. Let's talk about Narek and his collection of fidget spinners. <laughs> He's so funny. I, they are definitely fidget spinners. Actually, I really loved Narek, even though he did nothing. <laughs> he was an ominous he was presence, an ominous sparking presence. conflict. He was not angsty at all. He had a mm. mission and he was fulfilling it. And he was keeping yeah, himself just, busy with his, his, little, his little fidget spinners. Which I think is a nice way to signal to the audience that he has a lot on his mind and a lot of it is Soji without requiring him to engage in any angsty monologues. Right, because we did, like, that would have been horrible. <laughs> so I really liked his silent acting. I liked that he mm. has his TIE fighter. And yes. I like that he super reminded me of Kylo Ren. He's just super, he was like peak Kylo Romulan because he was not <laughs> Ben Solo at all. He was just very Kylo Ren and it was great. Does he need a cloak, do you think? It was funny that they showed us the ship and then they, they showed us Rio saying we can't see the ship. It was that. Yeah, was, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I get it. So I don't know if he needs a cloak or if he was just hidden behind the exhaust, you know, when like the Millennium Falcon hides in the garbage. A lot of Star Wars references Sorry. this week with ending <laughs> up in a Gormaganda. No, no, I meant on the show, not from you. I expect Star Wars references from you, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I am no, going to give us a gratuitous avatar the last airbender reference and say that i have always thought that narik and narissa reminded me a lot of zuko and azula and i think that narissa is a half-baked copy of azula and i wish that she was better but as much as many people find narik annoying and i don't think he's my favorite character i can see him pulling a zuko and having a really good redemption arc and he's doing the Zuko thing of pursuing the heroes and throwing little tantrums. And yeah, more of that. <laughs> Maybe I like him. Maybe I just like him better when he's not talking. <laughs> That's very Kylo Ren of him too. Oh, I love it when Madden Driver talks. Like I'd almost watch Marriage Story for that. That's Ben Solo. Ah. Although to be fair, Ben Solo does not speak at the entire last third of The Rise of Skywalker. But let's not talk about We're that We're not going movie. to talk about The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was, I was super impressed with how much of a presence he was when... The only way he was a presence is because we knew who he was. Like, he could have been any Romulan. Mm. It was not important for that to be Narek. But because it was Narek, it had a lot more... That... And I think there's the tension of, will he come aboard? Will he meet the team? Will he, he, he must eventually catch up with Soji, probably on her home planet. And yeah, I don't really know how I want his story to end, but I am glad that it's moved on from the, the holding pattern of recent weeks. And I'm eager to see what comes next. Yes. I want him to join the merry band of misfits. Not really opposed. I don't to need that. it to be in a relationship with Soji. Oh no, no! I 
don't want them to be together at all. I think he's blown his chance there. But that's not to say he's blown his chance to become a better person. Right. Exactly. And the planet doesn't have a name. It just has a number. So I really hope it gets mm. to have Thad Troy Riker's name. Ar- Ar- oh. Ardani. Something like that. Ardani. Yeah, yeah. I really like that idea. Just put it in that oh, out there. Gosh. Put it in that out there. I think this is the way it should go. You know, aside from killing my boy Hugh and the many, many problems with that, I really did like this episode so much. Everything with the Troy Rikers was just so rewarding. Yeah. I love their family, even in sadness. I think that's the thing. Their sadness hasn't broken them. They're not bitter. No, they're they're continuing. And, and the fact that Soji could speak Thad's language and that mm. then they heard the other, that he has other languages and that she used his name for home planet and the yes. look that, because Riker didn't even know that she knew it and it was just that, it was so rewarding, that tiny moment of Soji brings something to this family that, that they needed was just right so and she beautiful. brought it as her own person not as data's right. daughter it was just it was so it was so good I mean, the, but she mm. is data's daughter also and so they have that connection too and so it's just really i really liked it you know diana spent a lot of time with lal data's first daughter and that isn't even the first child she has lost right Poor Deanna. Poor Deanna. They've really, they've been really rough on her over the years. And, you know, the parallel with her mother losing her sister and... And everyone. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and I, I've seen, I've seen some people complaining that this series is all about suffering. That, that no one can have a happy ending or a happy life. That everybody has to be sad and in a worse place that they they were at the in in the next generation and first of all i don't think that's necessarily true no but also there's no happy endings there's just where you choose to end a story so yes if you end the story at all good things that's a happy ending but if you end the story at nemesis data has just died and the the key is not to stop loss forever it's to find a way to deal with it and move on as a stronger and braver or wiser person yes and that's where that's what we got with this this story of this family is that they're not in a better place but they're in the place that they need to be and yeah and it's good they're in a good place and it's sad but sadness is a part of life and it's hopeful as well as sad right because Castra is amazing and she is still their legacy they didn't lose everything no and Picard fought realizing that what he needed all these years was a mission and Mm. and that he when he didn't get the mission that he expected with saving Romulus. He, he had a yes. plan and he went to Starfleet with his plan and they said no and he did not know how to take that because he couldn't, he couldn't do his plan just by himself. 
or with just his his small group of friends. He couldn't he no. couldn't do this gigantic plan that he had, and so he stopped doing anything. And right. the realization that he could still have a mission that his the only mission he needs right now is to make sure that this one girl gets home and that her home is safe. And that that's just as important as saving every Romulan. Yeah, I I really like that. And I think earlier in the season, I was questioning whether the series really knows what it's doing with the idea of the story of the great man. And I think it sort of is saying one individual can't save the universe, but one individual can save people. I'm actually crying now. Oh. Exactly. And that is so important. And that's that's my redemption stories, you know, that mm. that it's the acts that you can do that matter. Mm. And that's not dying. That's doing. That is why Hugh's death is so such a misfire to me. Because there was no greater purpose served and you know, sometimes people die terrible and pointless deaths, but this is fiction and that was a choice. I'm sorry. I'm like really emotional right now. I'm like, ah. I'm sorry. No, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you said that set me off, but I'm like, <laughs> literally tears are, are running down my face right now. And well, I am really, really sorry. Um, I just, I need for people to realize that the little things matter and trying to do them is just as important as doing them. Yeah. And so, like, I I would love for this story to be saying that you don't have to be a great man. Like... Just be a man. Yeah. (laughs) To quote... Or a person. uh, What's his name? Zephyrin Cochran. Because I think that's what we need right now. It's it's rough out here. Mm. The election is sort of <laughs> devastating and it's it's only March. Sometimes you kind of sit down and go, what's the point? Right. And so we need these stories that are about mm. picking up and, you know, maybe I made 500 mistakes yesterday, but I can make 499 today (laughs) and and we need those stories and we need to believe that it's possible and we need to believe that it matters yeah sorry sorry that i've like got really serious and started crying (laughs) but i have an emotional connection to these kinds of stories and it sounds like you really need these stories i know that's exactly what you just said but you know, you're in a place right now where that's this is what you need. Which is why I get upset at people who are saying that it should have just been, it should have been episodic, it should have been the next generation, it should have been peaches and cream. Not that, like, next generation mm. was, but whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of people look back at the next generation with very rose-coloured glasses and I love Next Gen. I think it's a great show and it has a lot more conflict and complication than people remember. And it's just easy to overlook because it was a product of its time, but it was episodic. And if you told, 
Uh, I'm going to pick a random episode. If you told the story of the Silicon Avatar now, you could carry that out over a whole season and Riker's bitterness at his girlfriend dying and the scientist whose son was killed in the very first attack and Data's connection with it. That is a story that could be told over several episodes and it would be devastating. And instead, they told it in 44 minutes because that's how television worked back then. And everyone forgot it the next week. Yeah, yeah. And that's not necessarily an intrinsically bad way to tell a story. It's just not the way that stories are working now. It's just different. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. I get people who get upset about it being different because they, they want to have that same feeling from when they were from 20, 30 years ago watching it. Right. I get it. Right. And but it's, it's but, not the show's fault that it's different. And if they gave it a chance and tried to connect to this, understanding mm. that it's different, understanding that it's going to be a story that's drawn out over all of these episodes, then you could maybe find the same ideas and meaning. ideals, yes, and meaning in this long episode format. Hanging out on Reddit, there are so many posts from people going, I only got CBS All Access to watch Picard because I heard really bad things about Discovery, but then I watched Discovery and this turned out to be really good Star Trek. Yeah. And I am going to let you go. I have a long weekend full of housework and podcast editing. Okay. Yeah. I hope I hope you feel better and that I haven't left you emotionally traumatized. No, no, traumatized I, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm good. It sounded cathartic, but I'm not very good with feelings. <laughs> My own or other people's. I'm just, I apologize. I don't know what no, happened no. to me, but sometimes I just <laughs> have a lot of feelings. and It happens. You know, they all just come out. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. We haven't done that in a while, but we will. I was just about to say, we need more cat pictures. <laughs> and you can post and questions, post I guess. cat pictures to us. Please send us your cats. That'll definitely cheer me up. <laughs> if you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for episode 8 of Star Trek Picard, Broken Pieces. Seven of nine. I did mean to say, and I totally forgot, I love that the Fenris Rangers just seem to like hand out keychains to everyone they meet. And that it literally says SOS. It's so good. I know. It's so good. How? Why? I want one. So do I. And I loved how sad Eleanor looked and then how he was like, yes, it's going to work. <laughs> it was great. It was it was a good bit of facial acting, and I expect, I, I don't actually expect, because it's ridiculous, but I expect the shard that was in Rio's shoulder to come into uh, the episode, because it's called Broken Pieces, and I still want to know what happened. Someone, oh, it was Adam and Ben on The Greatest Discovery pointed out that the shard in Rios' shoulder is the same shape of the shard that drops into Picard's cheek in the opening credits. Just saying, that's a broken piece, and I want to know yeah. more. It, it could be the well, flashback. Well, these people are all... Has Rios gotten a flashback yeah. yet? No. 
No, he so has not. So Rios is up for flashback. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 